Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. And we don't say, well, you know, yeah, God is going to do that at the end of time, but I don't need to worry about it now. You know, we don't say, well, there's injustice down there, but we don't really need worry because God will sort it out when he comes. No, if, if, if I have a heart that is after the heart of Jesus, I need to love the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus wants the reconciliation of his people. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Ciao. Welcome to a very special episode of the Living Church Podcast. Today, we are headed to Rome. First, I just want to give a plug for our latest issue of the magazine, the Lent Books 2022 issue. And listen, I am proud of the magazine, but there are some weeks when it hits my mailbox and I'm like, a dang, this one is super gorgeous. We've got Vermeer on the outside of this issue, and we've got some Andy Warhol on the inside, which actually sounds like some people I know. Anyway, great articles on artists wrestling with their faith through their craft, as well as the Christian art of solitude and stillness. And of course, we've got a fresh crop of book reviews to help take you through Lent. This is a really great issue. I would encourage you to subscribe to The Living Church if you've not done that yet. Livingchurch.org, click products, and then click the magazine or click the link in the show notes today and it'll take you right there. Okay, on to Rome. In January, Neshota House Theological Seminary and The Living Church Institute got together and we co-hosted an ecumenical pilgrimage to Rome. Catholics and Anglicans together, and this doubled as a graduate course. We had students there. We had clergy. We had lay pilgrims. We were from the U.S., Canada, and Nigeria, and the group was hosted by the Anglican Center in Rome and the Centro Pro Unione. I was deeply affected by my experience there, and I wanted to bring you all in, partly to answer some of the questions that I had going into this trip. What does ecumenism mean? Okay, and what does it have to do with the average Christian? And what are the possibilities and snarls of Christian unity that we can encounter in a particular way by traveling to a holy site together? 
This episode was recorded on site in the Eternal City in various places, including the Anglican Center in Rome, the Office of the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity, and my Airbnb. I will let all of my interviewees introduce themselves. We hope you enjoy the conversations and the journey today and maybe feel inspired to take a similar journey yourself and to start similar conversations where you are. Tell me who you are first and why you're here. My name is Father Ken Amadi. I am a Roman Catholic priest from the Archdiocese of Abuja, Nigeria, and I'm a doctoral student at the University of Notre Dame, Indiana, United States. As a Roman Catholic coming to be part of a conversation on Anglicanism and Roman Catholicism and Christian unity in Rome. Now, what he hasn't mentioned is he's also one of my housemates on this trip. So I get to hear all the songs he's singing in the morning as he cooks eggs. And he gets to see me coming in in my head towel as I make coffee. So it's also been a good time of fellowship, would you say? Yes, that's true. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Okay, Father Ken, in everything we've been talking about while we're here, everything we've been experiencing... How does ecumenism trickle down to what you do in your parish or in your studies? How, how do you think this has to do with what you're involved in in your ministry? Well, as a scholar, I do research um, around Roman Catholic and ecumenical sacramental theology and ritual development. And this is particularly interesting and it's been really exciting for me these past few days that we've been here together First of all, I would say it is a huge eye-opener to get to learn even more specifically about Anglicanism in ways that I did not learn about it before. And the other value that I'm taking from this is I usually enter into conversations about the church from my own African perspective and tradition. And so these days of engagement here have also been days when I think back to my time as a Roman Catholic boy, a Roman Catholic priest in Nigeria, and what my relationship with Anglicans in Nigeria, and what generally the relationships between the relationship between Roman Catholics and Anglicans in Nigeria have been. So it is interesting to really see how different things are, not only between Nigerian Anglicanism, or the Church of Nigeria, as it is called, Anglican Communion, and Anglicanism in the United States, which will be the Episcopal Church and other Anglican churches in the United States. It's really interesting to note all of these differences. I had before now taken the Anglican Church to be a thing, but it seems to me that it is both a thing and many things, which raises the question of whom are we really engaging with? I know that the Church of England is the go-to institution for the Anglican Communion as far as Roman Catholics are concerned. But then also seeing that the Anglican Communion, uh, the um, Church of England 
does not have the same sort of central authority that Rome has for us Catholics becomes something really interesting and something I continue to explore in these days of uh, conversation here. Great. So when it comes to church unity, when it comes to Christians knowing each other, worshiping together, um, bridging divides, there are a couple levels I'm hearing in what you said. There's the level on which you as a Roman Catholic say, well, when we come together for councils and synods and conversations, who exactly are we interacting with and what authority do they have on a larger level? And then also you have um, curiosities and questions about the local level as you think back to your childhood in Nigeria and having neighbors who were Anglicans as well as your family and your community being Roman Catholic and those individual ground level relationships with schoolmates and with family and, and with your neighbors that those that that these issues are happening on these two levels but there's there's still a lot of work to do yeah no absolutely there is always that um the level of the institutional church and the level of the local church or if you like the rank and file of the church you know ordinary everyday catholics and the institutional level, the authority, the leading authorities of the church, the um, goal is always to um, work hard enough to establish viable bridge between these two levels of church. Otherwise, all of our conversations and discussions high up there might not really have as strong an impact as we desire for the local people. Absolutely. So what's one thing that you have discovered? You said you've discovered some things that have surprised you. What's something that you think might surprise the average Catholic to learn about Anglicanism and about what we share? Well, first of all is the fact that Anglicanism is more um, diverse and more multifaceted in its institution and structures and in its, even in its doctrines. But also the fact that these days, you know, learning of the um, more or less uh, sui iuri nature of each Anglican church, especially with regard to their relationship to the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Church of England, becomes also something that I continue to ponder on and how much the Church of England is a center of unity or a center of authority for the Anglican church. And also even thinking about the um, doctrines, especially the um, sacramental theology of the Anglican church, it also surprises me that what one church, one Anglican church, I mean, believes is very different in many cases from what another Anglican church believes. For instance, issues of human sexuality, for instance, issues of Eucharistic presence, or Eucharistic reception, all of these things do not have, as I've come to learn, a common center point for Anglicans. It then raises the question of who are we Roman Catholics to engage with? If we do engage with the Church of England as we think it is fitting, how about the other sui iuri uh, churches of the Anglican Communion? So um, I think it's really something both interesting and also intriguing as I you know, enter into these conversations with my Anglican sisters and brothers.
these days. Thank you, Father Ken. Yeah, thank you. We Well, you know, we need some Canadians on this podcast. We need more Canadians on this podcast. So I'm here with two other friends. Who are you both, and what are you doing in Rome? I'm Michael Latimer Dennis, and I'm an assistant curate in the Anglican Church of Canada. I'm from Chicago originally, but here in Rome to learn about humanism. And I'm Claire Latimer Dennis, also an assistant curate in the Diocese of Toronto in the Anglican Church of Canada, and also here to learn about ecumenism and get to tour around Rome and see and learn from the place itself, too. Unless do you think this was a coincidence that they both have the same hyphenated last name, they are married to one another. Now, what is something that you guys are taking away from this experience? Well, I think uh, one memory I have is um, just we went to dinner in a neighborhood and, you know, you you have to pop into the local church just to see what it's like. And when we did, we saw that there was a service happening and my Italian's terrible, so I could only make out a few things. But um, one of the things that was clear is that they were praying for Christian unity. Mm. Um, And I found that very powerful, not being able to understand, but knowing that I was linked to these um, brothers and sisters through through prayer and uh, a common desire to be closely united. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too, one of the things I've noticed just through the class and through conversations with other students and with just learning a little bit more about the way that the Anglican communion has been in dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church is I feel like I'll be going back with a greater appreciation for the diversity of our own communion and for the ways that there is um, there's brokenness and there's wounding and there's healing to be done in our own communion and that that needs to happen sort of as we continue the ecumenical conversations that are um, happening more broadly. So if we can be walking together with the Roman Catholic Church and with our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters then it seems that there would be hope that we can be walking together as Anglicans. And, and a key word we've been talking about this week is synodality. The average listener might hear that and think, what does that, what does that have to do with me again? Some might be listening and be thrilled to hear that word once again on the podcast twice in the past month. But um, yeah, this just sounds like an emphasis on synodality and, and, and hope for that. So thanks for, oh, we have another comment on that. Great. Just that we've done a whole lot of walking here in Rome. So that seems appropriate. (laughs) We have been very synodal here this week. Our feet are sore because of it. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Who are you and what are you doing in Rome this week? I'm uh, Libby Garfield. I am a midler at Neshota House, so I'm here taking the class. And I am also a postulant for holy orders in the Diocese of Central Florida. And what are you going to be taking back with you from this experience? I think the primary thing I will take back is the the importance of relationships for the ecumenical project. Um, Relationships and the need to see each other as humans. And that the only way to do that is by spending time together. And by being in relationship, we understand the commonalities that we have and see more clearly 
where those breaks are and the breaks that both um, seem comprehensible and reasonable to us and then those that cause um, pain and heartache in where we're unable to worship our same God together. Mm, yeah, and especially, especially, I think one one thing we've learned in this class is the the apex of this worshiping together would be to share from the same table, to be able to co-preside over Eucharist and receive communion together. Do you mind if I ask you one more question? Sure. What is one experience that you've had here that you would say really illustrates this to you, what you've just said to me? Um, on our second Sunday here, um, a group of us went to the Episcopal Church um, here in Rome and celebrated the Eucharist together, at which some of us were able to receive communion and others were not. And then we walked together to um, a Catholic church and had kind of the same but inverse experience um, all within one morning. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing, Libby. Thank you. Who are you and what are you doing in Rome? My name is Matthew Olver. I'm a liturgics professor at Neshota House Theological Seminary uh, and a priest in the Diocese of Dallas. And I am here co-teaching a class with my dear friend, uh, Dr. Christopher Wells, who's the director of the Living Church and uh, with whom I've taught this class before and been doing ecumenical work for the last 17 years. That is a long time, but I'm, I won't press the point about how long because um, we no one makes jokes about age in Rome. It's the eternal city, so there's no jokes about age. But I do know when I come across the psalm, and now that I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me, since I'm very gray-headed, even though my kids are still in you know high school. But he is not forsaken. I, I, I pray not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Father Olver, what do the things that we've been doing here, talking about, ecumenism, church unity, experiencing some of these things together. Right now, we're sitting inside one of the um, anterooms of the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. What does this have to do with the average listener of this podcast? You know, one of the ideas or concepts that we've been talking about this week has been the language of wound, that Christian division wounds the body of Christ. And I think for the average Christian, one of the ways in which this matters absolutely is that their experience of the church is deeply wounded right now, even though they may not know it. And I think that when they come to know and love other Christians uh, who are in other ecclesial communities or churches, that they realize that they are missing something. And that something are these other persons um, with whom they are one. Mm -hmm. And yet that oneness is not fully known or experienced. And once you know the other and love the other, you come to realize that there's actually more that God has for us. And so you come to want that and realize that that's actually what God wants and wills for us. And then you begin to get a foretaste of what God will finally bring us to, what it looks like to be with him fully and known. Baking powder, biscuits, and hair cream. 
These are just three things that the Living Church magazine used to run advertisements for. Yeah, we go way back. Well, it may no longer be 1910, but we're still happy to help you share the word about, maybe not baking powder, but about anything that you have going on that you would like a smart, informed Christian audience to know about. Events, job openings, books, curricula, pilgrimages. If it's something that could serve Christian leaders, we will help you spread the word on this podcast. Just email me at ambernoel at livingchurch.org and we'll get you started. Email ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Who are you and what are you doing in Rome? Well, uh, my name is Father Tony Curra. I'm a diocesan priest, Catholic priest, and I work at the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. And I've been doing that since 2013. And I'm responsible there for our relations, the Catholic Church's relations with the Anglican Communion and the Methodist World Council, and also for the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. Beautiful. And you've welcomed us into your space this evening. We've really enjoyed our time with you. Now, what does the work of ecumenism have to do, Father Tony, with the average Christian? That's a really good question. Um, So something I've been thinking a lot about recently is the way that um, unity belongs to the the way that salvation is described. So if you think of some, some key kind of biblical images, if you think about Isaiah, uh, is it chapter two, God's holy mountain is raised up and all the nations will come to it. And then you think about some of the parables of Jesus about the good shepherd who gathers in the flock, who makes the flock whole when it's become fractured, when it's lacking somebody. Uh, Or the idea of the harvest, again, that Jesus uses. Um, So images of, of salvation are to do with gathering in making a people whole, uh, bringing all together. Unity, therefore, really has something to do with the way uh, the scriptures talk about salvation. This is why it matters to all of us. So the kingdom that that Jesus is coming to establish, uh, that he came to tell us about, in the kingdom there is unity, there is reconciliation, just as there is justice, just as there is peace. And we don't say, well, you know, yeah, God is going to do that at the end of time, but I don't need to worry about it now. You know, we don't say, well, there's injustice down there, but we don't really need worry because God will sort it out when he comes. No, if, if, if I have a heart that is after the heart of Jesus, I need to love the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus wants the reconciliation of his people, of his church, of his Christians, of the Christian people. And he wants that unity of Christians, so that Christians speak to the world about what God wants for the world, uh, of of what it's like to live in his love. So that's our mission as as a church, is to show the world what what, uh, Jesus is calling us to, to live in the love of his kingdom. We have a few more seconds. May I ask you one more question? What would an ecumenical act look like for the average Christian? Well, it can be so many simple things. Uh, I mean, firstly, we recognize that our brothers, that that all the baptized are our brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, that we lack something when we are without them, when we don't, we aren't able to to worship fully together. So getting to know the Christians is key. Uh, Showing our respect for them, their faith and their worship is key. Um, And 
working together, particularly in ministry uh, and outreach to the world, is a powerful witness that um, the faith that we share kind of can speak and we can can act at that common basis. Thank you so much. Thank you. So tell me who you are and where you are coming from. My name is Joe Mangina. I teach systematic theology at Wycliffe College in Toronto. We are part of the, we're an Anglican theological college seminary, part of the University of Toronto. Great. And why are you here in Rome with us? I'm here in Rome because years ago, I developed a passion for conversation dialogue with other Christians. Um, I studied with, among others, in graduate school, George Lindbeck, who was a great 20th century ecumenical leader, uh, a Lutheran who was present here in Rome for the Second Vatican Council as an official representative, and he passed that passion down to his students. So I have missed the opportunity to um, dialogue with my Catholic, Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, and frankly, with, with, with my Anglican brothers and sisters about these issues of unity. So that's why I'm here. Also because this is the eternal city and it is gorgeously beautiful. And I just love to soak up the history, the culture, and the faith. All right. So, Joe, Dr. Mangina, what are you taking home with you from this experience we've had, these conversations that we've had? How is this conversation on ecumenism hitting the ground in what you do in your ministry? I think the way that it hits the ground is that it, it's a reminder of the importance of face-to-face encounter with your fellow Christians across denominational divides. Um, I have had the most passionate theological conversations, um, really, that I've experienced since the beginning of the pandemic, mm. here in Rome, over pizza and over <laughs> cacio e pepe and these wonderful Roman pasta dishes. And that, I don't think that's accidental that, that we share... We break bread together, we eat pasta together, and we talk about the gospel of Christ that unites us across our differences. And it has just been, been, it has not, you know, ecumenism often feels like a have to do, it feels like a burden. Here it has felt evangelical, it has felt like freedom, release, and, and frankly, a lot of fun. It has been. And when you mentioned the eating together and the talking together and the, the passionate talking together, I just thought about the dinner we had the other night where, where people were almost yelling with excitement some of the things. And we had Anglicans and Catholics at the table together and people are gesturing with their hands. And, we're, and of course, most of us are also Americans, so we're known for being loud in, in foreign countries anyway. But I just thought people around us, if they know we're talking about religion, this must seem so interesting to them. Like, who are these people that this means so much to them? I, I wonder about that. And, and what was fascinating about that, besides the wonderful food and the great company, and the fact that wine was flowing, I think that, that had something to do with it. But um, it was a good example because there, in that conversation, we were not talking about Christian unity directly. We were talking about a matter that concerns both of us, all of us. That is, <laughs> And this is about as theologically you know, specific as it gets. What is the nature of the beatific vision? When we're, when we're contemplating the Trinity in eternity and the joy of the new creation. And this is what we talk about between the second course and dessert in Italy. That's what we do between the second course and dessert. But we're talking about Jesus Christ. That, I think that's, the, right. that's what it comes down to. We're not talking about 
ecumenical, there's a place for talking about ecumenical issues in the mm-hmm. technical sense, but it gets really exciting when we talk about the deep matters of faith together. Yeah, I think our fellowship was really on display in a way that's really beautiful. Um, and as you say, not heavy, very organic um, and very sweet. So thank you so much. I hope we're getting this. We're still getting the microphone set up and we're in our Airbnb in Rome and the bells are ringing at one of the many churches around here. We hope to capture that. Great. Yeah, hopefully we'll get an ambulance driving by and then we'll... So who are you and what are you doing here in Rome? I am Teresa Rice. I am a master's student at the University of Notre Dame studying uh, theology, liturgy specifically. Um, And I'm in Rome at the invitation of one of our professors who got in touch with Dr. Christopher Wells through her work um, in ecumenical dialogue. And I said yes to an invitation last minute, and I'm very glad I'm here. Yeah, and I'm Julie Belfi. I'm also a graduate student at Notre Dame in the PhD program uh, studying liturgy. I didn't really actually know what I was getting into, what this looked like when I was trying <laughs> to explain it to my other professors. I was like, well, I think it's going to, it sounds like an opportunity for ecumenical dialogue. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that is. What does that it mean? Seems, <laughs> it seems that we've wrapped in pilgrimage, dialogue, uh, seminar, conversation, and um, whatever else uh, Rome offers with uh yeah, <laughs> with ecumenism in the air. Absolutely. It is definitely in the air. What What are you guys both taking back with you from this experience? I mean, ecumenism, what, is it, what does it have to do with any of us, really? What are you guys taking back with you? I think I'm taking back both a challenge to myself and a lot of hope. Um, there's a lot of hope in the way that relationships have been built very quickly in our small group from a diversity of, you know, places and experiences in life and especially of religious experience, both among, uh, as I'm learning, a broader Anglican communion and then also within our own uh, sort of invitation to be Roman Catholic dialogue partners uh, in this work. Um, But the vulnerability and openness that everyone's brought to conversations and the real witness of Christian life that I've encountered uh, is just such a sign of hope and something that makes me really passionate about and excited about continuing this work. Um, And then the challenge, I think it's a beautiful thing to be in Rome. It's a very exciting thing. And this was a privileged 10 days, right? Where this was the only thing I could focus on, these relationships, these questions, these exciting theological moments, the wonderful dinners. Um, I think the challenge is to bring some of that excitement and hope and real passion uh, back into uh, sort of the mundane world where ecumenism doesn't seem to be at the forefront of my mind and to remember that the relationships which have blossomed so fruitfully here so quickly are also at the heart of my life back home and are also going to be the source of good work in ecumenism if I'm called to do that um, but will more importantly be the source of real growth in the Christian life and real witness. One of the things that I will be bringing home is a the, the challenge to um, better understand what church means Mm -hmm. and um, how I, as a 
student of theology um, can incorporate an ecumenical understanding of church um, in, in my own studies and um, let it affect this vision of what it means to be the body of Christ. Um, let that affect my study of the sacraments uh, in, my, in my own faith tradition, in, in the Catholic Church. And to not be afraid of ecumenism, <laughs> honestly, to not be afraid of, of building relationships mm-hmm. and of having hard conversations. Because if I've learned anything, it's that good <laughs> people who love the Lord uh, shouldn't be afraid of talking about him with each other mm-hmm. uh, and talking about their, their love of their faith. Was there something, uh, something that surprised you about this trip mm-hmm. that really stands out that you'd want to share? Um, it's really moving. Uh, I think I was surprised this moment kind of crystallizes it. There have been moments throughout, but yesterday we had a liturgy, um, in the Anglican center and Cardinal, uh, Greg, uh, sort of not concelebrated, but was, was present as a witness. And when it came time to receive communion, um, Archbishop Ian like prayed over him and sort of an extended blessing and watching, that and watching the witness of of not being able to receive communion but being able to dwell in the wound and in the hurt um and then also my own experience of being in anglican liturgies not being able to receive the eucharist um and the genuine pain that that causes right the visible sign of separation that was just a tremendously moving moment yeah that's beautiful i'm gonna scooch this window closed just a little more because they're getting rowdy out there. It's no longer bells. It's Italians having fun out there. Um, what about you, Julie? Gosh, I think I would have to think a little bit harder about what surprised me because I think the whole trip was surprising. And every day as I, as you said that I had to think back on, mm-hmm. there was, I think, surprising moments at almost during almost every day. Um, the first surprising moment was uh, on our first on our first day, the first thing we did was um, prayed evening prayer together at the Church of Saint Gregory, where um, his uh, Gregory the Great, who sent Augustine of Canterbury um, to found the the church of the church in England, um, the and gave him that Episcopal seat there, and being in Rome <laughs> with Anglicans, Rome feels like my city, mm-hmm. and there was this. Uh, as a Catholic, it feels like my city. There was this sense of shared tradition that I haven't necessarily felt before. Uh, and it was not just a little present. It was very tangible that like walking around with um, uh, with my brothers and sisters of Christ in the Anglican church, that we shared uh, this, this tradition together, um, aspects of it. And I felt so honored, and I think I was surprised by how honored I felt um, by experiencing the city that felt like mine with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I felt that too. What you what you said you felt at the prayer service at the Church of St. Gregory, I felt that too. So last night we were we had a Vespers service mm-hmm. at St. Paul's outside the walls, mm-hmm. and we got snatched up. I don't even know who Prime arranged. Seats. We got prime seats and right. Pope Francis was presiding at Vespers yeah. and they pulled us from where we were sitting. And it was totally like that parable, like friend come up higher. And we came up way higher and we had reserved seats near the front that had the name of, of, well, it said Neshota college on it, I think, but like, no, it was great. It was just such an honor. Like, how did we get here? 
you know, who are we? This is just a beautiful thing. So thank you for your answers. Thank you for inviting us. Okay, now let's go pack our suitcases (laughs) because we're also ready to go home. You can read more about my own experience in Rome in the latest issue of The Living Church magazine. Again, if you want to become a subscriber to The Living Church, just click the link in the show notes today. And if you want to go to Rome with us, it's actually not too late. The pilgrimage takes place every two years, and it'll be offered again in 2024. To keep up with Living Church Institute events, go to the calendar at tlci.livingchurch.org. Many thanks again to the Reverend Ken Amati, the Reverends Micah and Claire Latimer-Dennis, Elizabeth Garfield, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Olver, the Reverend Tony Currer, Dr. Joe Mangina, and the most venerable Airbnb roommates, Teresa Rice and Julia Belfi. A special and warm thanks to, to the Anglican Center in Rome and Archbishop Jan Ernest and the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity who helped make this episode and our experience possible. Now get over your jet lag and join us in two weeks for a rich conversation with the Reverend Dr. Samira Page about what it's like to be a refugee because she has been one and how ministry to refugees can be done really well. Mother Samira has a powerful story and time with her is time well spent. You don't want to miss it. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace. Peace.